0: So we've been talking these last weeks about uh, the life of vintage and a vision for vintage. And if you remember, um, we had this little strap line to see God's kingdom come to our communities by making disciples who live as whole life followers of Jesus. And uh, we've been unpacking it with seven different uh, statements, which I'm not going to have time to read out this morning, but we're working our way through seven things which we feel express that truth in the life of our church. And this morning, uh, we're coming to two of them. We're going to do it today and then next week as well. And they they go like this. Um, At Vintage, we want the ministry of the Holy Spirit to work visibly in our community as people use their spiritual gifts and we see signs and wonders occur. And then a second one, we grow in intimacy with God through charismatic worship and prayer. And you know, there's so much that we would want to say under those two headings about vintage church. We could talk um, about our life in prayer ministry. We could talk about being a word and spirit church. We talk about intimacy in encounter and healing and prayer ministry. There's absolutely loads um, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about something we actually haven't really ever done uh, yet as Vintage in our morning services. I want to talk about worship. Worship. Now, when I say that word, like again, get a little shout out if you're feeling brave and you can shout loudly. When you hear the word worship, what, what immediately springs to mind? Any, any offerings? Praise? Adoration? Adoration? Anything else? Oh, sorry. Gratitude. Dance and music. Song. Anything else? All right. It's pretty good. It's wonderful. In one hand, of course, when we talk about worship, we use that old, it's the old English word, worth-ship. And it, it is the pouring out of our lives. It's the decisions we make. It's the whole way we choose to make use our money and our time and our influence and the gifts that we have, everything pointing toward the one thing. But as was just said by Rosa and some others over here, there's something about worship that connects to singing. There's something about worship that connects to music. And that's kind of strange if you think about it for the, in the first instance, why, why would you connect those sorts of things? But sure enough, if you were to Google the word worship this morning, you would probably come up with, worship industry music you would come up with worship leaders you'd come up with worship bands and he sort of uh, like asks a question like well what does that mean and why does singing equate to worship and why is worship part of singing and you know what is it to do with and you know which is real worship because I mean let's sort of being honest for a minute we kind of choose our churches based on what's the worship's like don't we really you know for, for, forever that's been the story do they have an organ or do they have a piano dare they have a guitar or if they're astonishingly radical do they have drums do they have lights do they have haze machines do they repeat songs or do they just sing them once do they sing hymns do they sing choruses do they have choirs do they have stained glass windows do they have incense like you can go anywhere you want but it's a big deal right I mean, we talk about theology, but really, you know, this is, this is the stuff that we care very much about. And we ask the question, well, which ones actually worship? In a stadium, is it worship? In a slum, is it worship? When there's a few sweaty teenagers and a guitar or in a youth room, is it worship? In an arena with lights and flashing everything, is it worship? Well, let's think about that. For a few minutes today. And the way we're going to launch into it is we're going to look at Revelation 4 and Revelation 5, which is the very last books in book of the Bible. And the reason we're going to look at that is because so often the worship discussion we have is, what do I like? And we're going to flip it the other way around and say, well, what does God like? What kind of worship does God like? And we're going to get a, a very clear insight into it because, as you're going to see in a minute, Revelation 4 and 5 give us a picture of worship in heaven. This is the worship of all eternity. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Revelation 4 at the end of your Bibles, I'm going to read fast, and I'm going to skip around a bit just to warn you, but it'll be on the screens if you get lost, because there's quite a bit of ground to cover quickly. Okay, Revelation 4 verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat in there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Verse 8 Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and they they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I'm going to quickly go to chapter 5 and verse 11. When I looked and heard the voice, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every living creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and in all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. I mean, what a scene. What a scene. Of course, this this is imagery. It's prophetic writing. You don't necessarily need to jot down like exactly the layout of the room. But what does worship look like in the context of heaven? Here's just a few things to whet your appetite for where we're going this morning. It's spectacular, right? I mean, it's colorful and creative. I'm not talking about like lasers and smoke machines and flashing lights, but look at this rainbows, emeralds, gold and white, lightning and thunder. Forget subwoofers, thunder seven lamps and they're not like flashing they're blazing and the floor is glass why is the floor glass because it reflects the beauty of everything that's going on above it it's an astonishing scene and it includes not just a few people but look who's there all of creation is there you've got the 24 old guys old guys can worship it's good they're the elders then you've got the heavenly creatures. They're a little bit Harry Potter-like in this description, but it's cool. Then you've got angels, not just a few, 10,000 times 10,000 angels around the throne. And then, if you notice, verse 513, we're there too. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them saying, here they are, what are they? The, the On the earth, that's the that's us, in the heavens, that's the birds, under the earth, I guess that's the worms, on the sea, I guess that's the dolphins and the fish, and they're all saying together, to him who sits on the throne, and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever, and they're worshiping, they're bound down, they're singing, they're saying, there's musical instruments, it's just this astonishing thing, but here's the clincher, this is what we really need to hear is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Turn with me to chapter five, verse five. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse six, then I saw a lamb, looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. "'encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. "'And the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, "'which are the seven spirits of God, "'sent out into the earth. "'And they sang a new song, saying, "'You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals "'because you were slain. "'And with your blood purchased for God, "'persons from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, "'you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve.'" Our God and they will reign on earth. Isn't that amazing? Why is worship? It is about giving glory and power and splendor and honor and love to Jesus. To Jesus, who is at the center of the throne in heaven, Jesus, the one who gave his life for, for us. Worship is our very highest calling as human beings. As Matt Redmond says, worship is the highest priority of the human race. It's what we were created for. And it's why we're here. Worship is our defining characteristic. You know, we talk a lot about mission, don't we? We talk about evangelism, we talk about justice, all these things that are so passionately on God's heart. But one day when we're in heaven, those things will be dealt with, they'll be done. And we will worship because it is who we were created to be. We were created to delight in God, to savor him, to enjoy him. But I, I wonder if like, you've ever thought, like, well, but why? Why did God create us for that? Like, is it that like, God's just a bit insecure? You know, like God sits in heaven. He's like, I'm, I'm just feeling a bit, you know, Unsure of my godness today. So, children, would you just would you help daddy with his ego today? Would you remind him of how good he is? Is God like some sort of egotistic kind of maniac who, who needs our praise to feel better? Well, actually, absolutely not. That isn't what worship is. Worship is about relationship, worship is about love. It's about the relationship that you are invited to have with God. And, you know, when you love someone, you, you, ha- you worship, right? I mean, you, you do. Back in the early days of the Vintage Network, two of, two of the leaders, not in Pasadena, but in one of our other churches, they, they fell in love. I mean, like, you know, really, like, fell in love. And because they unfortunately lived at a time in human history when they didn't write letters They sent messages to one another. They unfortunately decided to do it on Facebook for all of us to record for future. Um, And so I thought, would you like to hear what these two in love people had to say to one another one day? Yes, of course you do. She said, You make me smile. He said, I love you. She said, I low, low, low love you. I so miss you. She said, just write these down if you need them. You're my hero. He said, this is the truth. You're the greatest. She said, You make my life complete. He said, you are unbelievable. I am undeserving. (laughs) And then she said, to finish the conversation, raise the bar to the top. You are my Galatians 5 fruit salad. If you don't know what that means, don't don't look it up. You don't need that. You don't need that. That's what people do when they're in love. When you love someone, actually, it's actually painful not to express how you feel. Love that's not communicated is actually like unrequited. It's actually deficient. And when you love God, when you want to pour out how you feel, that's what worship is. Worship is the overflow of how you want to speak about God who God is. And of course, you know, worship, you might say, well, yeah, but worship is a, it's about our whole lives, right? It's about our decisions. It's about our money. It's about our time. And of course, those things are true. If, if you're here and you're married today, you'll know that a lot of a married life feels like that bit. But if you want to have a great marriage, you need those moments, right, where you look at the other person in the eye. You need those moments of romance. You need those moments of intimacy to build a great marriage. And if you want a great relationship with God... The same thing is true. We need those places where we can pour out and express the love we have. John Wimber, who famously started the vineyard movement of churches and used to teach School of Supernatural Miracles in the basement down here in the 80s. when When they just first took this adventure into worship in singing, this is what he said, we began worship with nothing but a sense of calling from the Lord to a deeper relationship with him. Your relationship with God is fueled by the love language that you have, which is worship. It's not primarily to one another. It's not primarily about the songs that you sing. It's not primarily about whether you can sing or you can't sing. It's about adoration. It's about heart. It's about life. It's about love. But what what actually happens when you worship? Why is it that some people seem you know, particularly excited about this topic. Well, it's because worship is not an action, it's an encounter. It's an encounter with God's presence. The the word for praise and presence in, in the Old Testament actually can be translated as face. It's an opportunity to come face to face with God, to meet him in time and space. And that's not something we just discovered in the charismatic renewal There's something that's true in the Bible. If you look at 2 Chronicles, there's this amazing moment when God's people begin to praise at the dedication of the temple. And God descends and makes himself known. Psalm 22, David says, you dwell in the praises of your people. And even in the New Testament, Jesus says in Matthew 18, when two or three gather in my name, There I am with them. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. There's something about worship, which is that as we come into the presence of God, God comes near to us. As we pour out our praises of God and say, you are worthy, you are good, you are loving, then God also comes near to us and has things to say to us my favorite verses in the whole Bible is from Zephaniah 3.17. And you're going, is there a book called Zephaniah in the Bible? It's like, yes, there's a book called Zephaniah in the Bible. It's very small. But this is Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And then hear this, you need to hear this. He will rejoice over you with singing. Some of us think that worship is when we come to church and we stand with our hands by our side and we sing about God things that we know to be true. But we miss the part that as we do that, guess what? God draws near to us and says, I'm going to sing over you my songs of love too. You might have some songs of love in your heart, but I've got some songs in my heart that I want you to experience in my goodness and my presence. I want to tell you, child, how much I love you today. And it's an amazing thing. Some of you, have, some of you are really used to this. You've experienced this before. Maybe some of you have never experienced this before. I, um, I grew up in a, in a really lovely Christian family, very musical family as well like a lot of my uncles and aunts, you know they were either professional musicians or they you know they played in churches and cathedrals and all that kind of stuff and so we always used to have lots of singing around as kids and we'd go to these kind of vbs like summer bible clubs and there'd be like a band and they'd sing these cool songs and we'd be like yeah i like that one and i don't like that one when i was about 13 my youth leader, we were in, in Hong Kong, said, hey, you know, Ben, you can play the keyboard. You should, you, should, you know, you should, should be a worship leader. You should, like, start a youth band. And I said, hmm, yes, I should. And I can do that. And so we started a, a youth band, which turned out to be not very good. Um, but we, we, we played and we practiced. But it wasn't, it wasn't really encounter. It wasn't really presence. But one summer, we were, um, we were back in England, and we were visiting relatives and some cousins uh, phoned up and they said, hey, you know, do you you, got, you and your brother, do you want to come to this thing called Soul Survivor? And I was like, oh, what's a Soul Survivor? He said, oh, well, it's like where you, you go down this big muddy field and you camp in tents and you go to these meetings in these big old cattle sheds and, and you worship Jesus. And I thought, well, that sounds like very much fun, but... I've got nothing else to do. So, sure enough, you know, my brother and I, we turned up on this big muddy field in our tent that was probably the size of a, you know, American armchair, and we 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 put it up the first night. And you know, we said to our cousins, "Okay, now what do you do now?" And they said, "Oh, you know, it's it's late. We just got here. We're just going to hang around. But if you want to, you can go down to that big meeting that's down the hill over there." And so I was probably 15. My my brother was 12, maybe. And sort of nervously, we walked down this big hill, and we could hear that there was music going on, This is interesting. And we got to this massive, great big shed like this, but nowhere near as pretty and far more smelly. And we we opened the doors, and we couldn't believe our eyes. Because inside the room, there were like 12,000 people, all young people. And in the distance, there was this very short English man on a stage. It was a guy called Matt Redmond. Some of you have heard of him. And, and, and he and his band were playing music. But that wasn't the exciting bit. The exciting bit was as we looked around on the balconies and all around the room, there were like 10,000 people worshipping. Like not, not just singing, because you know, we know what singing is. But you know what I mean? When they're like, they were worshipping. Like they had their hands in the air, some of them were crying, some of them were lying on the ground, some of them were weeping, some of them were just standing there in silence. Like I'd never seen anything like it. Like it shocked me. For a few moments I was like, like I better get out of here. But we stayed. And for that week, I, we encountered the presence of God. There were times when we sang our hearts out and there were times when we stood just in complete awe and silence. There were moments where we knelt, there were moments where we laughed, there were moments where we cried. Why? Because it's not just that the music was good, it was because we were encountering God and as we encountered God, he had so much that he wanted to do with us. You know, we went back to, back to Hong Kong that, that September and we said to all our friends at school and all of our youth group, like next summer guys, we're all going to England because we need to get some of this worship stuff And over the years that came, we you know, we we started to realise we didn't actually need to go to Soul Survivor to worship, we actually realised we could do it in Hong Kong too. And we started to worship and we started to you know have praise moments and encounter the presence of of the Lord. When you encounter God in that way, it it changes you. It changes you. You know, there's a bit in 2 Corinthians three where it talks about the, the veil being taken away from our faces. And when we suddenly can see something that we couldn't seen before, we find that we're transformed because we're in the presence of the Lord. But it's actually even more than that, because it's not even just that the inside we're changed. It's actually that the world starts to change as we worship. Do you know that? That the world changes when you worship? In, in um, Two Chronicles 20, there's this amazing bit where um, King um, Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel. He's faced with this huge battle, his army is coming to rip them to shreds, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he gathers, you know, his leaders, and they they pray, and they kind of work out their tactics. And the next morning they wake up, and the army is coming at them, and and everyone's like watching, what's he going to do? You know, what's his great move going to be? Who's going to be in the front line? Is it going to be like the is it going to be the guys with the swords or the guys with the bows and the arrows? Like, who, what are they going to do? And they see right at the front of the army. Are the worship leaders, are the musicians, are the singers. and the army, it starts to worship, and it worships, and it worships so much so that when the opposing army comes at them, they can't stand against them. They're so confused, they're so like spiritually disorientated that they literally run for the hills. Worship changes the situation, It's spiritual warfare. You know, when God's people are coming up to the great city of Jericho. What does God say? Hey, get a hammer, get a chisel, knock it down, you get a bulldozer. No, he says, worship. Walk around it and worship, and the walls will come crashing down. Even in the New Testament in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. Like they've really serious danger. And at midnight, they sing, they worship, they sing out songs of praise. And you know what happens? An earthquake comes and it bursts the jail free. When we come near to God, God changes the world around us, but, but he also can change our own situations. I can't tell you how many times I've watched people get healed in worship. And people say, oh, I, I went up for prayer ministry because my knee was hurting. And I said, oh, what happened? And they're like, oh, nothing, really. Oh, until I went back and I started singing. And when I started worshipping, suddenly my knee... <laughs> It got healed. I can't tell you how many times people have said, oh, I was in worship and, and like the Lord wanted to speak some stuff to me to release some things in my life. And if you think about it, that's not really that surprising. When you come near to someone who's really good, they generally have some things to give you. And when you come near to God, he has some things usually that he wants to bring to you. But how, right, like, how? Because I guess many of us, would probably go, well, that sounds nice, but I've, I've, never, I've never felt that. You know, I've, I've been in churches my whole life. I've sung a billion songs, or I've sung the same song a billion times in some churches. <laughs> Sorry, it's a joke. Um, but I've never, I've never fallen on my face. I've never, like, wanted to cry. Like, what, why is that? maybe i just need to find a better church maybe i need to go to england maybe i need better looking worship leaders better worship leaders not better looking worship leaders you know maybe we just need better songs maybe we do need a smoke machine well i'm going to tell you none of that is what you need if you want to grow in worship here's seven things that you do need seven quick things if you want to write them down do but i hope they'll help you number 1 come to church Worship, in a biblical sense, is about the family of God coming together to pour out praise to the one, to Jesus. Sadly, I think we, we live in an age which is kind of an individualistic kind of age and it's also a kind of consumeristic kind of age. So we, we kind of turn worship, if we're not careful, into a sort of Spotify playlist and we listen to it in the gym or on YouTube and we're like, oh yeah, that was kind of good. I liked that, I didn't really like that song. You know, they were good, they weren't very good. Didn't really get anything out of that. That's not what worship's about. Worship is about you coming with others toward worshiping the one. Now, I'm not, I'm not knocking YouTube church or I'm not knocking Spotify. All those things are great. They, they add and they're not, they're not, they don't have no value. But I just want to tell you, there's something about standing with your brothers and sisters. It's a promise of scripture where two or more gathered it could be a tiny gathering. God's presence dwells. So come. But not just come, but number two, come with expectancy and hunger. Let me tell you something which some of you may need to hear. If you don't want to encounter God, you won't. You won't. Have you ever tried to feed a child who doesn't want to be fed? You know, When our kids were little, you know, like you used to put them in the high chairs, strap them in, just to put the, we call it a bib. Do you call it a bib? What's that thing you put around? A bib, yeah? Okay, you put the bib around, you get the sloppy food and the spoon, and you're like, okay, here we go, here it comes. And the, you know, our child's like, like, come on, it's an aeroplane, it's gonna land in the hangar. No. Nope. You know, it's a train, it's coming into the tunnel. No. Nope. It's very hard to feed a child who doesn't wanna be fed. And it's very hard for the Lord to feed you if you do not want to be, be fed by him. I think, sadly, in, in that sort of you know age of cynicism thing, which we also see from time to time, it, there's this sort of thing which is like, oh, it, it's cooler to stand back, you know. I don't want to hype anything up, so I'll just I'll sit in the back. I'll watch. You know, if God really wants to do something with me today, that's great. But probably He'll choose the you know the extroverted, enthusiastic lot who sit at the front. I'll just you know I'm I'll just just hold back. Instead, you know, we we just critique kind of worship. Well, yet actually, I think the Lord would say to us, come hungry, because I'm hungry. I want to feed you. I want to speak to you. I want to encounter you, but are, are you willing to come into my presence? Do you want to come with your best? We well, come, come hungry. I, you know, it sort of makes me sad when worship gets spoken about in churches as "Oh, it's the kind of bit where you get your coffee. <laughs> it's the kind of bit where you get your donut and you chat to your friends and then you're coming for the good bit, you know, the, the word, when the pastor delivers the word, that's, that's the good bit. I tell you, worship is, is so important. You know, when, when the Lord was doing big things in any church I've been part of, like me and my friends, we'd be like, how early can we get there? Where's the front row? Because if God's gonna do something, I don't wanna miss it. I wanna be right here at the front. So, you know, we'd like line up to get in early. Sadly, it feels like we almost treat worship as an option. So number two, come hungry. Number three, don't be passive. I think, I think in a sort of culture of passivity and entertainment, all those kind of words I just said, you know, it, we can feel like, well, like, I don't want to hype anything up because that's weird. You know, I, don't, I don't want to be the guy who makes emotional, like, you know, or the girl who makes, makes it super emotional. So we sort of you know, we, we cross our arms and we stand back a little bit. But if, if you think about that, That argument would not work with loving anybody else. You know, just a little tip to guys: if you're, you know, thinking of dating, right? If you fall in love with someone, do not be passive. Like, it won't work. You know, if you've loved someone, you don't stand back and go, "Oh, yeah, I'll just wonder if they're going to make the moves." Like, I I wonder if they're going to do something. And even if they do, oh, I'll just play it cool. I mean, some of you, that is your technique. Don't do that, right? (laughs) But if you love someone, you go after them, you write to them, you pursue them, no stalking, but you know, you text them, you do stuff, right? That's what worship is supposed to be. It's about you hungering after the Lord. And I know that that doesn't come naturally, because if you're like me, and over the years I haven't always been a pastor, sometimes I come into church and you know, you get there and you're like, Oof, yeah, I made it, I parked the car kids, group, okay, check, good, right, I just about go, I'm here, you know, I'm... okay, oh, did I text that person, oh, uh, where are we going for lunch, oh, uh, oh, I must talk to them after the service, and oh, I forgot to do that, and, you know, before you know it, you're like three songs into worship, and then everyone sat down, and you're like, oh, I, you know, I, I just sort of missed it, no, we're invited to come like actively and to choose worship, because sometimes you have to choose it right? That's why the Psalms say, like, awake my soul and sing. It's a command to yourself. Like, wake up, Ben. Stand up, Ben. Remember, Ben, what God has done. Where you're tempted to think about, like, everything that's wrong and you've got to fix later, the Lord's invitation is, no, no, just come here as you are. And as we do, you know, number four, we, we fix our minds and our hearts on God. And that's really hard, isn't it, on a Sunday morning (laughs) when there's so much going on and it's a bit hot and we've got other things to think about. But worship is not singing. It's revelation. It's encounter. When we come, we actually sometimes have to make a choice to go, actually, God, I remember that you are good. I will choose to remember the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. I will recognize that my life is a mess, but you are faithful, that you love me even though I don't feel it. You are working even though I don't see it. You are here even though I don't sense you. I'm coming and I'm coming with all that I have. So we fix our minds. Five, we, we bring up our, our physical worship. Here's the contentious one. No, no. Romans 12:1. Just in case you think I made it up, in view of God's mercy, looking at who God is, what offer your bodies as a sacrifice. You know, there's that whole debate, isn't there? Should you lift your hands in worship? Should you kneel? Should you lie down? You know, is that just the domain of the weird people? Is that okay? Will the other people think I'm weird if I do that? Is this enough hand raising? Is this enough hand raising? Is this enough hand raising? You know, what's what's the appropriate thing of worship? Well, let me just tell you what the Bible has to say. The seven Hebrew words in the Bible for praise are physical words. They are not we praise, and we do something. They are these: yada, which means to worship with an extended hand. Charismatics didn't invent that. To barak, to kneel down in adoration. To toda, to extend a hand in acceptance. To shabak, to address in a loud tone. To halal, to celebrate. To zamah, to sing along to instruments. To tehillah, to praise God that inhabits. It's not that we worship, and if we feel something, we raise our hands. It's that actually worship is physical. It is in any relationship. You know, when I, I love Laura, guess what I want to do? I want to hug her and kiss her. When I meet someone that even I'm vaguely OK with, I want to give them a fist bump or a handshake. You know we, we do that because physical and spiritual and emotional, it's all linked together. Dr. Noam Spanser in Psychology Today says this Many people assume that the link between emotion and behavior is just one way. Emotions shape your behavior. You know, you love him, therefore you kiss him. You hate him, therefore you hit him. That view is actually incorrect. In fact, the relationship is reciprocal. Much of the time, behavior is actually shaped, behavior actually shapes emotion. Ever wonder why so often the actor and the actress who play a couple in a movie fall in love on the set? Recent research in clinical psychology has shown that the fastest way, listen to this, to change an emotion is to change the behavior attached to it. The reason that we choose to raise our hands in worship or kneel in worship or lie in worship isn't always because we had an overwhelmingly emotional kind of thing happen to us that therefore we think, I better respond to that. Actually, it's that we made a choice to bow. It's made a choice to kneel. It's that we made a choice to proclaim the wonder and the goodness of the Lord. And it's often that out of that choice that the Lord comes near and has more that he wants to do with us. So five, get physical. That's an, old, that's an old song, right? Get physical, physical. Okay, not like that. Don't do that. Number six, bring a sacrifice in worship. I think this is one that we must remember in our modern age of worship, which is all about, was the band good enough? Was the worship pastor good looking enough? Was the, you know, whatever it would be. Worship is supposed to be your sacrifice. It's supposed to cost something. The good news is the worse the worship band are, the bigger your sacrifice is going to be. It's supposed to cost something. There's two beautiful things from King David in the Old Testament. One is um, he wants to worship, and one of his guys comes to him and he says, oh, I've prepared everything you need to do the worship. You know, I've got the fattened calf, and I've got the the grain offerings and stuff. You you just do it. I've got everything ready. And King David comes back and he says, no, no that's not worship. Because if it didn't cost me anything, it's not a sacrifice. And if it's not a sacrifice, it's not worship. Worship's supposed to cost something. So you know what King David does? He gets down in his underpants and he starts like dancing around, like undignified, even though he's the king of Israel. Like, worship is supposed to have this sense of, of sacrifice about it. You know, and... But some of us, you know, we, we're like, well, I don't know how to sing. In fact, the sacrifice will be on behalf of the person standing next to me if I sing. And so we think, well, it's better if I just sit here quietly or I stand here quietly. I tell you, it's not about what you sound like. It's about what's going on in your heart. It's about the gift that you want to bring to the Lord. It's supposed to be a sacrifice. And then, and then finally, Respond. And to what the Holy Spirit is doing. What I think changes the game, really, from singing to like real encounters with the Lord, is actually that journey of response to what the Lord is doing. You know, the reason we, we brought Tom and Jacinta and these guys out from the UK is because they have an incredible gift to lead others in worship. I mean, yes, they're wonderful. You know, Tom's an amazing musician and singer, but but actually, he can. His spiritual gift is that he can sense what the Lord is doing and steer us through that. You know, this is what worship's supposed to look like. Hey, Lord, I I love you. You're amazing, even though I'm a mess and I didn't feel it today. You know, the Lord says, Ben, let me tell you how much I love you this morning, my child. And we say, oh, Lord, I love being a child of yours today. And the Lord said, oh, let me sing a song over you. Come and rest in my presence, my child. And then we we just go backwards and forwards. We sing and the Lord reveals. We breathe out and the Lord has something else to do. We kneel down and the Lord comes near and he says something. Like that's worship. It's about choice, it's it's about encounter. And it's not about songs, you know, it's not about the person standing next to you. It's not about whether you look cool. It's not about whether or not you like it. It's not about, you know, it's nothing to do with any of those things. It is the choice of your life. It is the choice of your heart to enter in to the presence of the Lord, to look undignified, to maybe even look a bit stupid, but to fix your heart and your life on the one thing, Jesus, and allow everything else to fade into the background. And so we've deliberately moved the service around this morning so that we would have time to worship. And... We're gonna, we're gonna worship now. And I'm just gonna invite you uh, to stand if you're able to do that. And um, I really mean it when I say we're not gonna hype anything up or force anyone to do anything, but let me just set some ground rules and then Tom can lead us. Um, if you are comfortable where you are, feel free to stand. If you want to kneel where you are, kneel where you are. If you want to jump up and down where you are, jump up and down, whatever. If you find it helpful, the reason we took these front rows of pews out of this church when we renovated it was because we wanted to create a space for people to feel freer than standing in a pew. So if you want to be brave and come and stand at the front, you can do that. The prayer ministry team are also going to be around because that's part of the response in worship. Um, They had a couple of things. I'm just going to read out that they wanted to pray for particularly. They wanted to pray for students. Many of them are not in this room now, but if you're a student at Providence or Fuller or somewhere else, um, they want to pray for you this morning that this would be a year where God would reveal his heart and Holy Spirit and touch your life um, and and release a spirit of excellence to walk in his anointing and favor. So um, they'd love to pray for you. They'd also love to pray... um, anyone who's got chronic issues with pain or allergy Um, and then finally and this is obviously for all of us just anybody who wants to be full of the holy spirit wants to experience his presence they would love to pray for you this morning Um, but we're going to worship for 20 23 24 minutes and then in fact i'm going to pray a blessing and then we're going to keep worshiping and you can go home whenever you want but we're just going to push into the presence of the lord and if you feel as we do that god's got something for to say to all of us Maybe you have something that you think that God wants to say to the whole community. I'll be standing right over there and I'd love to hear it from you. But let's, let's, let's act actively get involved in some worship.